We should open with this in the podcast. Woo! <laughs> Same time. Hey, Keenan here. It's Directed Podcast episode 23. Thank you to our sponsors, the AFO Collective and Film Supply. Film Supply is a full-service licensing agency that houses incredible, highly curated footage of myself and hundreds of other filmmakers. If you're looking for footage to fill the gaps or just building treatments and need inspiration, check out filmsupply.com. Today, we've got director Rob Chu. Rob is a very impressive body of work. His projects are often really large in scale, uh, ranging from multiple countries, locations, lots of talent, and uh, he's a guy that is not not a stranger to using the big boy toys. He gets to use the Russian arms, helicopters, rain machines, all that fun stuff. Uh, he's somebody that's got a lot of industry experience, and yeah, he's a super insightful guy, so I think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here's Rob. Hey Rob, thanks so much for coming on today. No worries, man. Hey. So uh, let's start it off with hearing who your favorite director is and why. My favorite director. Um, it changes. Like, it changes a lot, actually. Um, I would say Spielberg. Is that the early work of Spielberg, like E.T., Close Encounters. Um, oof. Terence Malick, I like some of his work. Thin Red Line, Tree of Life. Mm-hmm. Um, Denis Villeneuve, I think. I hope I've said that right. I, I love his stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's a correct way to pronounce that name. I've heard it so many different ways. Yeah, no, I really love his work. I yeah. found a film of his probably about three or four years ago called um, Esondi. Mm-hmm. I hope I pronounced that correctly as well. It was nominated for a Oscar for Best Foreign Film 2011. Um, it's a Canadian-French film that really put me onto his work and then I really like Arrival by him Sicario uh, who else Inaritu of course really love Beautiful mm-hmm. Babel love the work of Lynn Ramsey Ratcatcher if you've ever seen that really old film Wicked I'm, and, I'm uh, familiar with it I haven't seen it yet though yeah that's a great film and um, Andrea Arnold's work I really like as well Honey or Still American Honey, honey. American Honey's the newest one. Yeah, like I, I found him. From Fish Tank's really good too. Fish Tank and Red Road was the first one I think. That was that's amazing. Set in Scotland, Glasgow. Really bleak. So, so Rob, how did you get into directing? Was it something you you know always thought you were gonna do, or? So I, I so I started off as a uh, graphic designer. Uh, in a past life actually I was a graphic designer for print before the internet was even around really so I did that for a long time and then while I was doing graphic design I I was basically I was at college doing graphic design and I was supposed to leave um, college and go straight to uni and do a, a BA in graphic design and I ended up getting a job in the summer and they kind of in a, in a in a studio so like they kind of took me on as like a, a junior designer so to speak and, it, and when I joined them I asked them if, if I could um, go to uni one day a week or something to kind of because I really wanted to do this degree so I could do you know my own projects and stuff so they sent me off one 
um, a university in Manchester in, in the UK. So I kind of did, I did that for three years part-time, got my degree, and while I was doing that degree, I, I started dabbling with After Effects, and I got into motion graphics, and this is around 99, 2000. Um, so I kind of rode that wave of motion graphics for a while, and I started working with people like um, Prologue. They do a lot of film titles and Digital Kitchen mm-hmm. from Seattle. Did a lot of work with those guys, and then I kind of... I just kind of did that as a, in a freelance basis, and I got picked up um, by a French animation company called Mr. Hyde, um, representation for doing kind of animation and motion graphics. I was never really good at it, but I got somehow got my way into that. And then Stink Films um, mm-hmm. found uh, signed Mr. Hyde and then kind of kept me and got rid of the rest of Mr. Hyde. <laughs> it sounds horrible, but it's <laughs> as bad as it sounds. Um, yeah, and then I kind of fell into commercial directing through Stink, and that was back in 2009. So I haven't been doing it that long, really. I'm, I'm always jealous of people that have like a big graphic design background because I feel like that probably helps you so much with like coming up with treatments and putting things like that together. Do you think that has that helped you a lot? Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially when I when I first started out, I was doing a lot of my treatments, you know, purely myself, right. writing them, doing all the research myself, doing mm-hmm. all the layout myself. I don't do it so much these days because I, I sometimes it gets so busy that you just can't juggle so many things. Yeah. So somebody else will lay it out for you. But I, yeah, I did all that myself for a long time. It did really help. And I mean, even now when somebody does a layout for me, I, I'll still go over it and you know mess with it. I still like to. I mean, I really miss graphic design actually. To be honest, it was it was a uh, it's, it's nice you can you know you easily get drawn it well i easily get drawn into it and then i get satisfied from it really quickly without having to show anybody show it to anybody else or anything whereas with directing you have to really you know have a whole team around you it's the same with motion design as well actually i used to really love doing that yeah is, is there a certain level of like you feel like you can just get something done there and it's a, it's a little bit less collaborative in, in kind of motion graphics and graphic yeah, design world you, you kind just... of sit there you're doing your thing that's it, yeah. I mean, you're just literally sitting there creating stuff from scratch. I mean, I would go out and film some stuff on a, on a like a DV camera or something and then mm-hmm. bring it back and lay graphics over the top and stuff. But it's purely your your thing without any outside influences, which is it's good, but it, it's good in, for some ways. It's, in, in some things, it's really good. I, I used to work with um, Chris Hewitt a lot. With, do you know Chris Hewitt from Smuggler? Yep, He's yeah. A good friend of mine. So we used to do a lot of um, motion design together. And then we started, we kind of started directing live action together as well. We kind of came into it um, together. We did a lot of um, title sequences for creative conferences, such as the Off Conference in Barcelona. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. How did you start getting into that? Like, um, God, that goes back. I've been talking, doing talks there and sort of title sequences since about 2004, 2005. Um, I think I just mailed them. And said, yo, I really like your stuff, what you guys are doing. They were having these big conferences, and there was like a big community of online designers and stuff at the time, motion designers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they looked at my stuff and said, yeah, we really like your stuff. We can, um, I think it's a, he said that he'd seen it for a while, invited me over to do a talk, and it's kind of snowballed from there. We stayed in touch with him. And they used to do these um, title sequences. And one, I think one time I said, oh, I would love to do that. And he said, yeah. Feel free because it's all self-funded. It's like a personal project. You basically just go out there and make whatever you want to make, and then right. put the you know put the uh, the titles on of the people that are going to be speaking, and then you just give it to them. They don't even see it before you, you finish it. I mean, me and so me and Chris did the first one together um, in two thousand and seven for the New York 
conference and then we did a second one for the Lisbon conference and I can remember on the way to the talk to present because they show these title sequences at the end of the event on the last day of the last talk and we were the last speakers and um I remember rendering the thing in the taxi on the way to the conference so nobody <laughs> had seen this before we presented it which is kind of crazy yeah, especially cool. when you compare it to like how it works with commercials now and how many you know how hard it is to get a finished thing yeah i just feel like i feel like that's a big theme especially we've been hearing doing these interviews is just that like kind of how much how much of people's careers are started or, or how much how many opportunities come by just like reaching out and asking to do something is there been have you found that to be true in other aspects of your career like projects came about by you just kind of like sending your stuff or reaching oh, yeah. out yeah definitely definitely i mean uh music videos definitely when i hear an artist i really like i'll, I'll reach out and contact them and then we'll get things going um yeah i mean yeah dps man i, I reach out to dps all the time to say yo love your stuff would love to work with you someday and then we get talking and then you know that kind of evolves into a relationship we end up shooting together yeah, and it seems like it, it. It seems like you've worked with some of like the biggest D- commercial DPs out there. Um, were you Were you able <laughs> I to, to? Were you Yeah. <laughs> were you able to kind of build those relationships through just reaching out to people and just kind of, you know, starting out? Yeah. With them? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I shot. I, I shoot. I've shot a lot of stuff with a lot of DPs this year. This year, I've shot five projects with five different DPs. Whereas before, I was shooting a lot with the main with one guy. Mm-hmm. Like a, a lot of my commercial work my earlier commercial work with um, a French guy called Matthias Bocard. Mm-hmm. And we shot loads of films together, like 10, 12 back to back. So we have a really good friendship, actually. We're like brothers. And we can, you know, we can hate on each other. We can, you know, we can say what we want to each other and it's there's no offense or anything. So I have a really good relationship with him. And then um, I have a good relationship with Khalid Matasep as well. We have a, we've shot a few films together mm-hmm. back to back. And that, that relationship came about from me mailing him and saying, yo, dude, love your stuff. And he said, kind of said the same stuff back. And then we jumped on a really gnarly project out of Russia where we, you know, we got we got killed. We absolutely <laughs> got killed. It ended up as a piece of shit. But I knew that I could rely on him 100%. If we could do that together and come through it alive and still talk to each other, we could do anything. So from off the back of that, we did some, you know, some good stuff together. So I, I'm curious, like what, what is for, for you, for yourself, what is your relationship with your DPs look like? And you know, how, how early in the process do you bring them in? Do you bring them in during, during the bidding process? And, and if so, are you like including them in your pitch or what does that look like? Um, I, I don't really include them in my pitch. I, I have done in the past, but what happens is that DPs get booked up so quickly because, because of the whole process of the treatment and then it goes through something called procurement where they have to work out if they're getting you know the agency has to work wait agency and client has to work out if they're getting value for the money and everything by the time it's gone through all these phase you know these phases and you've won the project or not then it can be two months sometimes so it's hard to block somebody so far in advance and then you then then you come to the schedule and it all moves around so it's really hard so i don't really do that anymore but i used to do for some of my treatments um and then, what was the other question? Sorry. Oh, and just What's my just, relationship with with DPs. Yeah, I mean, they're my right hand man. I mean, I'm I'm. They're literally the person I work with, the most on on a, on a shoot. Like beforehand, I mean, I try I, 
really do try and take DPs to a director scout because I think director scouts without DPs is great, but I mean, when you're dealing in the, you know, it, it, I think it works differently in film and commercials. Commercials is a, is a really visual medium, and I think you need a DP there to say because I can go to an, even now I can go to a location and say I love this location, blah blah blah, and then I go there to DP and I say no, it's not going to work because of this, this, and this, which I have totally missed. And I'm and I'm quite visual. I mean, I take a lot of photographs myself and everything. But a DP will just say, "No, that's not going to work because of this and this." And so I find it really, really useful to take a DP with me. Um, and I and I really like to talk to DPs before I start doing storyboards as well. Because I mean, I, I don't really work from storyboards. I try not to, but obviously, an agency and a client has to see what you have in mind. And I don't. And some clients will hold you to the frame that you've drawn, and I don't really want to just frame up you know, with the camera, something that's been drawn by somebody who doesn't know the location, doesn't, mm -hmm. you know. So I'd rather talk to a DP about stuff like that beforehand as well, if possible. So, but yeah, I mean, I have a, I try and have really good relationships with my DPs. I mean, I have had some, I have done some shoots where I didn't really gel with a DP earlier in my career. Um, and I think it kind of shows in your work. But when you have a really good relationship, it's, yeah, it's the best thing. How do you go about deciding who you um, pick for a certain job outside of availability? Like, what what do you what do you decide? Like, what goes into that decision? Well, I have like a I I have a list of people that I really want to work with, and then uh, so I'll reach out to those guys first. And I, I I mean I don't really get approached for doing work that's kind of outside of what I do. Mm -hmm. So I, I you know if somebody wouldn't ask me to shoot um, something in a studio, for example, with a white background, so that I would have to look for a DP that can do that. I kind of get asked to do work that I kind of, I guess that I kind of, that they're drawn to. And, and I guess it's kind of a very similar style. So I kind of, yeah, I, I talk, I, I have a bank of DPs that I would love to, to work with that kind of do similar sort of stuff to me mm -hmm. or are going to push me further. Yeah, well, and, th and that's one of the things uh, I was going to ask you about is, you know, you've got a very, you've got a pretty distinct style. How how would you how would you define that style, and then how do you think you were able to to hone that style and, and find it for yourself? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if I've really gone out of my way to define my style. Not not intentionally. I think mm -hmm. even when I look back at my earlier work, it kind of has the same the same feeling, and I think it comes from um, you know how I grew up and the experiences I've had and how I see the world. I guess. Rather than, I haven't consciously said right, I'm going to make everything. I mean, I, I, there are some things I, I, I do, you know, like I, I want to shoot anamorphic all the time if I can, and I don't like shooting in the middle of the day. There are certain things, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but I haven't like the way the films come together. Because I mean, everybody shoots like that anyway. Everybody wants to shoot anamorphic. It feels like at the moment, and everybody shoots in low light. But I haven't. You, know, you you get all those images, and I think it's about the way a director's voice is the way you put the things together, and and I guess the angles you've used in the direction and all the rest of it. But I haven't intentionally tried to make something that is my voice. It just kind of happens over time. Mm -hmm. And then when I look back at my earlier work, it, you can kind of feel it's my work still, even though it's something. Even my motion graphic work still feels kind of has the same vibe. And I'm I'm not, yeah, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. Do you think, I think it, everybody do you think has the that. pacing that could be part of it? I don't no, I don't think so because I used to edit things. I mean, I edit a, a lot myself, well I used to, and not really so much these days, but I I have done a lot of things where it's very glitchy and very quick cut 
but I feel like my work has become a lot slower now hmm. and more or it's yeah I think it has yeah we were actually, I was gonna ask do you edit some of your own stuff or or do you typically work with an editor I, I work with editors these days but I used to I mean I came up obviously in motion graphics so you would create everything yourself and sure. edit it all together um, and then even my personal films that I've done in the past, my short films, I've edited those myself. And I think it's good to edit your own personal stuff because mm -hmm. you kind of know exactly what you want. But then, I mean, I haven't done a personal film for a while, actually, but even if I did one like next week, I think I would mess with it myself first before giving it to an editor. I would do a rough assembly at least because yeah. I kind of, you know what you want to do and how you how it all comes together. But the good thing about working with an, you know, an editor is that they will find things that you didn't even know existed. Um, and they will find a different way to tell a story, which is really interesting, and I, and I love that. So what is what is that process of working with an editor look like for you? Or do you just hand them the footage and let them do that first pass by themselves? or? Oh, a lot of editors like to do that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know all the footage, obviously, because we, we shot it. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll give them the rushes. They'll spend the day or two making selects and then usually they'll do a quick assembly and then I'll come in and have a look but I like to be involved from that point I don't like to stay away too much mm -hmm. like I um, I can't edit remotely for example I've tried that a couple of times and it really I find it really painful because I just want to be in the room and vibe with people it's the same with a DP I want to be in you know it's, it's about the energy you create the vibe that you, you know the vibe that you're on that day and it's the same with an editor I want to be in that room and you know, be up all night talking about how we're going to change it or trying things and, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so are you in there like watching every cut or is it more so like you're in there, you watch a little, you watch a little sampling that's been put together, give your feedback, step out of the room. No, no, I mean, I mean, when I, once I'm in, I'm in. Yeah. Once I, once they said, okay, you can come in, this is my first assembly, then I'm, then I'm in there. If I if I can, if time you know part time permitting and everything, yeah, right. I'm I'm totally in there. Do you, and have you ever done jobs where you're not involved in the editing process and you're just you have to just hand off the footage, or is that kind of one of your things? Well, that, that you put your foot down. Yeah, that on? happens. Why well, that happens in the states a lot. So in, yeah. in Europe, mm -hmm. where I do most of my work, we're involved the whole process right through to post production you know color grade all the cg all the retouching we're involved in all of that but in america you just basically shoot the project and then you hand over all the footage to the agency and they take it away so then you have to do your director's cut so that that, that can hurt actually sometimes because it's i think the edit's a big process it's a big you know it's a big part of the final thing and especially music Certainly. if you put the wrong piece of music on a film it totally changes it and i've had this yeah, I had this a lot of times this year actually. Where I've, I did, I've done a couple of projects this year where I, I can't even release a director's cut because the client won't let me release it because it's so different to what they wanted. You know, right. I, I presented it to them and then they said we like it, but that's not the way we want to go. So mm. and then they change it, and they change the music, or they change the voiceover, and it becomes a different film entirely. Can I've, you... I've moved away from your I've moved away from your question now sorry oh, no, no, you're I, good. Was, I was actually going to ask like what what are the differences that uh, with working in the states versus in, in Europe that you notice um, other than the edit other than the edit yeah uh, it depends where in Europe but 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 sure I find that things in the states it's just the the crews over there are amazing shit just happens mm. it just it just everything works really really well 
It's a well-oiled machine, especially when you shoot in LA. I mean, I love shooting in LA. Just because it's it's what they do, you know. It's like I the it feels like yeah. yeah, it feels like yeah. Everybody's just on on their game. It's just, it's, a, it's a really different experience. I mean, it depends. It really depends where you shoot in Europe. It's, it's, it, you know, if you shoot in London, it's, it's it's pretty much the same. It's amazing. You have amazing crews here. But if you shoot somewhere like um, I don't know Italy, mm-hmm. for example, I've, it's 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 you, you know you can get the same results. It's just a bit more challenging to get there. Right. You have to put a lot more work in. Which is good as well, though. I, mean, I, I like working both ways, but I do like working in the states. It's just it shit happens. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the your Porsche spot, and which I know is I know is one of the ones that you're not able. Hopefully, to, it's going to come out soon. Hopefully. Not able to release, but yeah. So when uh, when people can see this, um, but it's it's a beautiful spot first and foremost. Incredible oh, images. Uh, I'm just whenever I see whenever I see a, a project like that, just that's so massive in scale and so expansive, so many locations and talent. Yeah, I'm always just curious what the pre-production and what just like how you executed something like that. So I don't know if you could maybe maybe start from start from the beginning and just start kind of talk us yeah. through. Yeah. So that came in. That project came in. Oh man. So I was in I was in Chile for a month with um, with Khalid shooting a project for Nikon. We're doing this huge ten day shoot in Chile, and and the Porsche project came in right at the end of that. So that was back like must have been back end of March, um, and I think it must have been April when we were actually pitching it, pitching the project to the treatment and everything, um, and then. We got shortlisted. I think they might have invited five or six directors to, to, to pitch. Mm-hmm. And then we got shortlisted to present our treatment and um, go to meet them in at their, in Stuttgart, in Germany. And I remember making a, like a mood film. And I, I hate making mood films because it's just always, you know, you're just basically taking everybody else's commercials and you put them all together and you say, and some music and saying, this is how it will look. But we did one, and um, they loved it. And was that and something they asked for, or you just kind of took that upon yourself? No, I took it upon myself, because I really, really wanted to just do this job. So the script that came in wasn't that great. It was really basic, and I changed a lot of it. Um, and it was just something we evolved with the agency and made it into, some, into what it is. But it came in really, you know, really, really basic. It was like a one-page um, one page with just a few pictures on and a couple of lines. And it was kind of, we could go anywhere with it, which was good. I like those kind of projects rather than having something that's fully fresh because you can bring a, you know, bring a lot to it. Sure. So I made this mood film, went down, um, and then they, they really liked our presentation. Um, what happened next? Oh, then it went into procurement, which is where they have to make sure they're getting the right value and you know what they're getting on their shoot days and the toys we're going to have. And what I had done with this, with my pitch was I, I wanted to have this epic shot at the end of the film, which was going to be a helicopter shot, which would last for 10, 15 seconds. So something that's really big and long, a big statement at the end of the film. And they really liked that idea. And nobody else had pitched um, to shoot with a helicopter, I think. So they had to ask everybody else to pitch with a helicopter just to make sure that we, they were getting you know the good value for money thing with the procurement stage. Right. And the long story short, we ended up winning the project, which was great. Um, and then we 
looked at where we could shoot it because we actually shot everything ourselves, including the lion. Um, and you know, there was talk at one stage about doing stock shots of the lion and stuff. And I, I hate, I hate using stock imagery in my in my work. So I really pushed for you know having a, a lion on the set and all the rest of it. Um, and so we were going to shoot at one stage. We were going to shoot in Scotland because we could get rough sea and we could get a lion up there or something. Anyway, in the end, we ended up shooting in Slovenia and Croatia with a production company called Baz, who were really, really good. Um, and I went there on a director scout and I and I worked with a DP called Paul Myers from Utah. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came on my director scout. Um, so we talked beforehand, like we, I showed him the treatment and I showed him the mood film and I talked about the things I want to do and we shared some references, etc., between each other over a Dropbox. And then we met for the first time in uh, Slovenia and we did a scout for four or five days, I think. And he brought his Alexa Mini with us, with him, which was great. So we actually framed stuff up while we were there. Um, and then we went away. And then we went back, I think, like three or four weeks later, because I think I had another project in between or something. Went mm-hmm. back three or four weeks later. And then we shot that over, it was an eight-day shoot, but it was broken up because it was, there was a lot of traveling around because it was over two countries. But yeah, that was, a, that was a great project, man. I mean, we had a helicopter, we had a Russian arm, we had Steadicam, we had underwater shots. And Paul's a diver, so he shot that all himself. Really? Great. Yeah. That's wicked. Um, yeah, it was crazy, man. So you you said you worked with a different production company. What is that? Well, no, I worked with, I worked with Iconoclast, and then we have. It's obviously we're not, we're not based in Slovenia, or Croatia, right? So you have to work with a service company. So the service company basically does the job of the production company and, and makes you know brings in the first AD and all the local first AD and all the rest of it, all the all the crew, finds you all the locations, takes you around, looks after you, basically does everything. I I turn up to uh, Slovenia with my producer, my my two producers from Berlin. And then um, my DP. So that that service production company are they also like a a typical production company? And that like, do they have their own list of directors? But then they just act as a service company when and out of when and out of the country uh, directors coming in. Or I think it's mainly as a, they, I think they do have a few mainly service companies just service um, bigger production companies. Gotcha. Uh, but sometimes they do have a small roster of, of directors who they will just have for sort of local, you know, smaller kind of stuff. Right. Cool. No, yeah. that's interesting. We, we, Any time that we work overseas, we work with um, service production companies. So most of my, I mean, all of my, I never, I very rarely shoot in London, in, in the UK. So most of my work is always with a service production company. And they're great. I mean, there's some really, really good ones around. Like I'm sure you've heard of Radioactive um, in Kiev, mm-hmm. who are pretty well known. They do a lot of work. Limelight in Kiev are great. Baz Productions are great in Slovenia. So can you yeah. you kind of mentioned the the diving scene? Um, can you talk about the or uh, well that your DP was a diver? Can you talk a little bit more about the underwater filming and kind of like what housing you used and you know? I I have no idea what the housing was. We had an Alexa Mini for it though, sure. and we were using Panavision B series lenses, which are awesome. Mm-hmm. And we had a Panavision T series zoom, which he. I think he probably had that inside the underwater housing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have no idea. I remember we, we went there at the right time. We had, we went there in the middle of the day to shoot with the water because we saw that we could get the uh, the top down light and get the shafts of light coming through. 
but it wasn't working because the water was so murky. So we had to rush through everything else that day and then jump back in at the end of the day and do it again. And that worked out. So was that all just natural light or did yeah. you guys supplement? Yeah, 100% natural. Yeah. The whole, the whole film, except for anything that's interior is natural. Really? Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So that is, is that the benefit of having so many shoot days is you can just kind of avoid the, the middle of the day? Yeah. I mean, even when I have, we have three shoot days, we, we, I, I try and avoid middle of the day. So really what do you, what do you do during what I do in the middle of it? I, well, I try and do stuff that I, I can do interiors. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so for, for that helicopter shot, just, just for my own selfish questions, I'm just curious, how many takes did that take? Because that's like, that's one of the most epic shots I've seen in a commercial in a while. So that shot is actually a lot bigger than what's in the edit. So with that, that shot starts from way, way, way wider than what, what we were. And what I wanted it to do was come down. Well, it does exactly what I wanted to do, actually. But we did how many takes? It was all, we, oh, we, we, had a, we had a really small window in Golden Hour to do that. I think we might have done 10 takes, maybe 12. It was, it was really tricky, mm. really tricky. I think we had, we had one that was really good. What, what we use what kind of like what can you do to plan for something like that like the the timing is was it just kind of feeling it out with the driver and the operator or is it like yeah so i we had when we did the tech scout so obviously when every time you do a job you, you do the director's uh recce and then you do your your um your tech scout where you go out with all the you know the grips and the sparks and stuff and and you you get a feel for what you're going to do and where you're going to put lights and stuff. So when we came to this location, we met with the pilot from the helicopter, and he told us what we could and couldn't do. Um, yeah, we just we explained to him exactly what we wanted, and he said, "Yeah, we can do that. It's not a problem." He was kind of just like that. Yeah, no worries. So <laughs> we just kind of did it on the day, and it just yeah, he did it in ten, twelve takes, as I was saying. Nice. Were you in the helicopter or were you? No, I used, I used to do helicopters, but I can't do it anymore as I'm getting older. I just, I can't do heights, man. I hate flying. <laughs> I actually hate flying. Really? And I fly it a lot. Yeah. And then in those things, I had, I had a bad experience in one. We've shot this project up in um, Scotland for Peugeot and we did a director scout in, in a helicopter and we hit like this really, cause we're going over the mountains in this really bad stormy weather and it just felt like oh, we were going to fall out of the sky. And I, I actually, before then, I had a bad experience. I was in Guatemala with uh, Matias Bocard, and we were shooting this really low-budget um, online web film. And we had a helicopter, and we were flying around this volcano, and we didn't have like a, a flight head or anything. It was literally Matias with a camera hanging out of the helicopter with the door open, and me holding him, and then the pilot and the producer in the front, and that was it. And, you know, and he nearly fell out, man. It was crazy. And yeah, I'm not excited about helicopters anymore. So I let Paul do that. <laughs> yeah. that's why. Although I should, I, I mean, I should go back up in there, to be honest. If I'm going to ask somebody to do that shot for me, I really should be up there. Yeah. But, yeah. Did, did you guys, did you guys use like the shot over or something? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. We use helicopters quite a bit with um, car commercials. Yeah, Sometimes we're asked to use drones, but it's really hard to get the speed with drones. And the mm. battery, I've had, you know, I've had quite bad experience with drones where batteries have run out and stuff. And there's, you know, it, 
drops you, out you of the sky. Up, yeah, you just can't stay up long enough, yeah. especially for a shot like that. So, you know, kind of a, uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, you probably uh, sounds like you're very busy right now. But how do you how do you try to stay productive? You know, on slow periods when maybe you're down for a couple of weeks or a month. Um, I mean, I've been a, it's been a really good year actually. I've shot, yeah, I did five projects, pretty much, pretty much back to back. And at, at the moment, I'm just taking a bit of downtime and just settling back into life, back into back into London because I've not been here so much. Yeah. Um, and I'm at the moment I've been working on writing my own personal stuff, which I've been working on for such a long time, actually. But I keep getting kind of pulled out of it to go into commercials. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's, it's, I mean, I find it quite hard to, to motivate myself sometimes when I, there is no deadline. There is no, nobody on your back saying where, you know, when you're going to finish this. Right. So well, it's a kind of a slow process, but I, I recently I've, I've trying to keep myself in the ass and get stuff done. Cause I really want to do more personal projects. Cause that's kind of how I, was discovered originally um, through all my personal work. So I want to get back into that because that's where I feel like I can do my best work. And especially having these experiences this year with not being able to even show my director's cut, it's like, oh man. You know, it's not like anybody's waiting for my, my latest commercial to come out, but it's just for myself. I just want to put stuff out there and, mm-hmm. and, and move on to the next level. I mean, I, I want to do feature films eventually. Right. Well, so I, best, I, you know, I guess maybe kind of jumping back to when when you were starting out like maybe kind of that's this same question of how did you how did you stay stay productive then or um you know just putting yourself in the shoes of when you were starting out well when i was starting out i was really 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 hungry just to do just to make stuff Mm -hmm. and i was just making stuff constantly especially coming from the graphic design background and the motion design background where you can just sit in your room and just churn stuff out and just do it and just get instant feedback from people. Whereas when you're directing films, you need such a, no, you don't need such a big crew, but you need people to make that happen. And then it comes down to schedules and there's so many factors that can slow that whole process down. So when I was, yeah, obviously when I was early, earlier on in my career, I could, it was, it was a lot easier to do things and do personal projects. Um, Whereas now, yeah, it does take time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I do. I mean, I've had I've had slow years, man. I mean, I I got into commercials. I did my first commercial at the beginning of two thousand and ten, and I did a pretty good year. And then twenty eleven was a bit slower. But then twenty twelve, I did hardly anything. I think I did like two films, and they were nothing for the show reel either. They were literally just things to make money, and I was so stressed out. I think for nine months, nearly nine months, I didn't do anything. And I was so, so stressed out and I, I was just going around in circles. And I, I did um I actually did a short film that year, which I shot down in Mexico for the actually for the off conference again. They I, I reached out to them and they said, Yeah, you can come do this and I, I, I shot something for them. But that was that was a really tough year and I was it was yeah, I was going crazy. And then two thousand thirteen was I, I did a couple of things which were okay and then 2014, I took it upon myself because I, I just felt like my career wasn't going anywhere. And it's really easy to fall off the radar in commercials. There's mm-hmm. so many good guys out there. So I took it upon myself to start from scratch again. So I started doing music videos for like a grand and then building my real backup with uh, music videos. And I did a personal project, which was like a music video as well. And then that got me on to some bigger music video commissions. Not big, but like 10K. And then that led to um, a couple of commercials. And then I got that. McLaren job came in for me 
which was really low budget. We did that for 85,000. And, wow. and we went into that. Me and Matisse had just done a couple of um, kind of, again, not for the showreel kind of projects. And we said, right, this, this is the one. We, we wanted to do cars for a long time because we've been looking at Johnny Green's work and mm. you know, Martin Detour's work, Adam Berg. And we're like, man, we really want to do something epic here. This has to be our, the best thing we've ever done. So we went, we, we just went all out. We did it. He slept on my couch to save money. And we didn't, I don't think we took a fee or anything. And we just, yeah, we just shot that. And we did that in like eight or nine hours. It was crazy. Wow. <laughs> but we were so, so hungry for it. We just wanted it so badly. And then that was kind of my way into car commercials. And then since then, now it's hard to get out of car commercials. You kind of want in and you can't get out. Yeah. But it's, 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 it, but it's great. I mean, I, I love doing it. There's a lot yeah. There's a lot worse things you could be uh, yeah, boxed exactly. into than cars. Yeah. Pretty badass. Yeah. Serial commercials. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Washing machines. Yeah. That was a great project. That was a... Uh, I did that with a, with a company called HSI. Oh, I was signed to HSI at the time in London. Um, that was like kind of one of the last projects they did before they went. They 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 shut up their shop now. Mm. But that, yeah, I mean, we did that um, with next to nothing. We had hardly any toys actually. We had we had a few huge lights that we had to take down because it, because it became really stormy. We had a we had a rain machine, um, but the, the the final shot in the film wasn't supposed to be in the film. And the, the client said, "I want a patch shot." And it was we were we, were, we had finished filming. We had no lights up anymore. They said, "We want to." we want a pack shot at the end. We were like, shit, what are we going to do? So we had one light left up, which was just coming down. We said, okay, leave that light where it is. We're going to shoot it. It's not going to be like a, a traditional pack shot. It's going to be really dark and gnarly. But they, they loved it and they went for it. Yeah, I'm really proud of that project, actually. Yeah, that's that amazing. So yeah, man, is there uh, any projects coming up that you can talk about? Anything? Um, no, um, I'm just my personal stuff, really. I mean, I'm finished. I'm just finishing up a project for Mini, which okay. I shot with Adam Kimmel, who's an amazing DP, feature film DP. He shot uh, Never Let Me Go mm-hmm. for, uh, for um, Mark Romanek. Um, and, yeah, I'm just working on my personal projects at the moment. Trying not to do any commercial work over Christmas. Yeah. So complete, complete tangent, just because you brought it up. What's it like working with a rain machine? Cause I saw that in your Porsche spot as well. Did we have any Porsche? Yes, we did. So the, uh, no, yeah, the Porsche project was different. So that was, um, that was like an installation. So there's this, um, there was this installation in the Tate gallery where they had, uh, uh, like a, a, a rain room. So there's a room you could walk into. And when you walked into it, the rain would stop wherever you were. They had sensors everywhere. So it was that kind of oh, okay. thing. It wasn't the exact thing. Cause it was, a. It was, there was copyright issues so we couldn't do it exactly the same but basically it was just it was a room full of rain with like all these things on the ceiling and we shot that in a deserted car park but the the rain machine for McLaren and I also shot it with, um, for another project uh, for Forever Mark Diamonds yeah that's great I mean you basically you could have a, these towers with rain just pouring out of them and it, yeah it's just it's nuts it's pretty crazy does keeping it close to the camera make it look like it's raining far in the distance yeah, yeah, because yeah. you can't tell what's in the distance. You can't shoot that stuff mega wide. You have right. to be, you know, the rain machine's pretty much, you're pretty much in it. But you can't tell what's in the background. And if you can, then you, you can touch it in and post. But most of the time, you can't really tell. Right. But you have, like, a big fire truck there feeding those things as well. Nice. So there's a shitload of water. Yeah, <laughs> they're fun. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so, 
you know, we always end this with some advice you'd give to up and coming filmmakers or maybe some advice that you would have, you could give to yourself if you were, you were back starting out right now. Oh man. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would do as much personal work as you possibly can because that is how you really find your voice and how you work out what you want to do and the kind of things you want to tell through your work. And also watch other people's work. When I first started doing commercials, I'd come from a background of motion graphics and, and you know, watching films and stuff. I try, I didn't really, I wasn't really interested in watching commercials. But I think it's a really good thing is to watch other people's commercials and see what they've done and see what works and see what you like. There you have it. That was Rob Chu. Thanks again to Rob for being on the show. Uh, yeah, and that's going to do it for us this week. If you want, come back and uh, listen to our next podcast. That'll be out shortly after. Yeah. Um, it will come consecutively after this yeah, one. Yeah, and it'll probably be numbered 24 because this one was 23. Absolutely. We typically like to keep things linear on the podcast here. Yep. Um, and <clears throat> when we hit episode 100, every one of our listeners will get a car. So, so at our current pace... If you're listening on episode 100, um, call in and read read this code one five seven nine four six x hyphen seven. Um, Again, that's. Well, just replay it, and then so go ahead and read that code when we hit episode 100, and you will get a car. On, and on, on the on the pace we're currently at, uh, there'll be four years. Four years from now, guys. Yep. Check back in with that code, which again is. Just go ahead and rewind and you'll hear that. And we'll see you guys then.